Father, thank you for all the gifts of ministry that have been demonstrated here in this place of worship this morning. From music, song, skits, from leading the worship, introducing us to worship, meditations for offering and communion and specials, and my goodness, you put it all together and you got church. The church, the body of Christ, worshiping the Most High God. Thank you for the gifts that you've given all your people and their willingness to share them, not only with the body, but for the glory of Christ. Father, we need your help. Going to be talking, going to be preaching the word this morning. And Father, I don't want to start without you. I don't want to start preaching, and I don't want to start listening until I know the Holy Spirit has this thing. So it's your message. I guess a very simple prayer is bring it on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are going to be in the 17th chapter of John this morning, most often referred to as the high priestly prayer, more commonly understood to be the Lord's Prayer. But in this high priestly prayer, Jesus will pray for himself, he will pray for his disciples, and he will pray for his church. It's going to reveal our Lord's spiritual priorities, and this is important for us to get right up front. The spiritual priorities of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great place to begin? Isn't that a great model to follow? So we'll see in this prayer, number one, the glory of the Father. Number two, the unity of the church. Number three, the sanctity of the church. And number four, winning lost souls so that they can be a part of the church. It will reveal the gifts he has given his people. Eternal life, the word, his glory. Those things he has given to all who profess him as Lord and Christ. We as believers are God's gift to the Son. Did you know that? Just just pause for a moment and consider the fact that you are, as a believer, God's gift to the Son as surely as the Son is God's gift to us. It's the great exchange. More priorities in the prayer. Seek God's glory. Experience his joy. Be sanctified by his word. Seek to win the lost. Encourage the unity amongst God's people. What a prayer. What a prayer. Glory is a key word in the theme of this, uh, of this prayer. Christ laid aside his glory to come to earth. He glorified God on earth. He was glorified when he returned to heaven. Christ is glorified in his church, and he has shared his glory with his church. Amen? And now we are waiting for the fullness of his glory to be revealed. Let me read this brief passage from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God and... Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also has glorified. Amen. Church, I want you to be excited this morning. 
I, I think we must, we must begin to, to demonstrate a joy in our lives, a joy that will set us clearly apart from the rest of the world. I don't know whether you watch much news. I don't know whether you read much news. I don't know whether you keep track of all the bad stuff that's going on in the world. But I want to tell you, there's no joy outside of Jesus Christ. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. This world is dying in the muck and mire of its own depravity. And the church ought to be rising up to say, thank you, Jesus. I got a joy and a hope that will never be taken from me. We're here to celebrate this morning. We're here to celebrate. So if you're not ready, I don't know what to tell you. We're going to read John 17. We're going to read the prayer in its entirety. I will invite those who are able to stand at the reading of God's word, but completely understand, and I mean this, if there are issues in that, it is a rather lengthy passage, and you can honor the word of God by staying seated also. But if you are able, would you please stand at the reading of God's word, John chapter 17. We are privy in reading this to one of the deepest, most personal conversations you're ever going to encounter in the Word of God. As the Son of God spends some time with God the Father. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you have given them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I am praying for them. Hear it? I'm praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may become even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have glorified, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not. Of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now we're in the prayer. We're in the prayer that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that have, was you have given me, I have given to them. Let me repeat that. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and though these know that you have sent me, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Lord, I don't know that it's even remotely possible that we can grasp this passage in its entirety in one sitting. But Father, I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit makes every point necessary in each of our lives, and it may be different. But Father... Have your way with this message. Open our hearts that we may receive these profound and eternal truths, not just for the ascent of knowledge, but for the transformation of our very souls. In Jesus' name, amen. And thank you, thank you for standing. The greatest prayer ever prayed, as recorded in Scripture, it is the holy of holies in the gospel record. It should inspire in us a spirit of humility and a spirit of worship. To think that we just had the privilege of listening in as God the Son converses with God the Father as he is about to give his life as a ransom for lost sinners. Remember this whole series to this point and continuing forward, has been bringing us to Calvary. And eventually we'll hear the final prayers of our Lord, even from the cross. There is nothing in his journey that is catching him by surprise. He has not been caught off guard. He has not been dismayed or discouraged. He is right on track, on mission, on purpose. And it's because he had a love for you and me that would take him to old Calvary's cross. The first thing we see in our prayer this morning in its very simple outline he prayed that he would be glorified. That he would be glorified. The word glory is used eight times in this prayer. From a human perspective, 
The cross was a, a, a revolting, disgusting display of the cruelty of humanity. But that's us looking up. What God saw looking down from the divine point of view, the cross revealed and magnified the grace and the glory of God. Please note again verse 1 of our text. When Jesus had spoken these words, very quickly, what are these words? Well, basically everything that he had said before this moment. But more specifically, the words of chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, for the sole purpose of helping his followers understand he was not a victim. He was a victor. And he closes in John 16, well, one verse in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Christ was right on track to do everything that God had sent him to do. And down later in chapter 16, do you now believe, behold, the hour is coming, indeed it is come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things uh, to you, listen carefully, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In light of those words, now Jesus prays his prayer. And now we're into the text. Glory is at the very heart of Christianity finding, experiencing, receiving a glory that will sustain our souls. Now listen very carefully. Contrary to some teachings, Christianity does not make a lot of promises. Does that scare you? Now uh, people are beginning to roll their eyes and think, okay, where is he going with this? Let me clarify. Christianity does not make a lot of promises that some claim it makes. It will not remove you from a broken and depraved world. Hallelujah. Right? Christianity doesn't promise that. It promises an eternal glory, which thus removes us forever and ever from a depraved and corrupt world. But right now, you know what? He's going to leave us right where we're at. Right in the middle of the muck and mire. Right swimming in the, You know, it's all around us. It's all around us. But we're going to get to point two here in just a minute. We may have it all around us, but by golly, it ain't supposed to get in us. It's not supposed to be in us. One old boy said a boat is just fine as long as it's in the water. A boat's in terrible shape when water gets in the boat. And we got to get the water out of the boat. I tell you, we're going to hit it hard this morning, folks. I'm wound. I'm wound. But we got to get the water out of the boat. We got to get the world out of the church. Amen. It will not solve all your problems. Well, shucks. It will not remove all suffering from your life. Well, boy, what do you think? Following Christ will probably not make you healthy, wealthy. And if you're looking for the easy road, do not follow Christ's footsteps. But if you have your eyes set on glory, if you have your eyes set on victory after victory and overcoming the world, he's the way to go. He's the way to go. Here's what Christianity does promise. It promises that in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. How about that? Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath. 
so you can be adopted into God's family. And, and you will truly have satisfaction in your heart. What is wrong with so much of the world around us? There, there's this, this whole uh, generations of dissatisfaction. Enough is never enough, and I'm entitled to more. Amen? Gary, we got to get down, and, and we got to practice our dance. Gimme, gimme, gimme. No, we don't, do we? You know what the Christian's prayer ought to be? Take, take, take. Take, take, take everything out of me that doesn't bring glory to your name. Take it away. We're so concentrated on getting more that God is getting less of us. The awesome glory of God. Jesus died not to satisfy our old desire for self-glory. He died to give us a brand new desire to see and behold and be satisfied alone in the glory of God. We have, Stan, a new creation. Well, along with being a new creation is a new appetite. A new appetite. The old earthly food no longer satisfies. We want heavenly bread. We want to be nourished by the Holy Spirit. The old junk food just doesn't work anymore, folks. That's what it means to be a new creation. He does promise that everything in our lives is working together for an eventual good. Everything broken in our lives will be put back together one day and we live in that glorious hope. And he does promise us his spirit so that what is glory and joy are not just out there, they're in here. Wiersbe says Christ prays that the Father will give him again the glory he laid aside when he came to earth to die. The only time that his glory was revealed on earth was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And note the gives in verse 2. The Father has given the Son authority over mankind. The Son gives eternal life. Those the Father has given the Son are his forever. Secondly, not only did Jesus pray that the Son would be glorified, he prayed that his disciples would be sanctified. His disciples would be sanctified. This request transcends the immediate followers to encompass you and I and the church. But his disciples were on the point of the spear. And look again at the provision for the sanctification. I have given them your word. I have given them your word sanctified, set apart, set apart from the world unto God, literally to be made holy. A sanctified Christian is someone who is daily growing in the word and as a result is separated more and more from the ways of the world. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. I don't know how it can be more clear than that. Living in and by a biblical worldview. Listen, this is going to be the heart of the message. I believe this is where God, God drove a stake in the ground. That we're supposed to just stop just for a moment. Living in and by a biblical worldview, not in part but in whole. This is not about selective sanctification. Brothers and sisters, he has given us everything we need for life 
and peace and comfort and hope and joy. And the words of this book will sanctify us if by the power of the Holy Spirit we spend time in it on a regular basis, not only just reading the words, but absorbing its truths that they are imparted to our heart and soul, transforming us into the very people that God wants us to be. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them by your word. Amen. It is our lives, our thoughts, our actions that flow out of a out of and through the filter of the word of God. Folks, if it doesn't, if it isn't approved in this word, then we shouldn't be doing it. If it's provided in this word, then we ought to be obedient to it. Today, believers seem to think they can pick and choose what comes under biblical rule. We see this clearly in the issue of abortion. Do you hear me? I'm telling you, I'm putting the stake down this morning. I prayed about this and I asked God to please filter out whatever he did not want to be said and close the ears of the hearers if they ain't supposed to hear. But I'm telling you, abortion is becoming a test of fellowship. I believe it is a test of fellowship. You cannot be pro-Jesus and pro-baby death at the same time. Do you hear me, church? It is a line in the sand. And we got to be bold about it. Well, don't you think we ought to be diverse in our opinions? Not when it comes to the life of a child. No. We ought to be firm in our conviction. Jesus is life. And churches, wherever they are, if they are churches, these ecclesiastical gatherings out there that are saying you can be pro-gay, pro-church, or pro-abortion, you can be pro-death, you can be pro-sexual perversion, you can be pro-this, pro-this, and boy, isn't it nice to love Jesus? No. No, incompatible, cannot be one. I beg you, parents, hear me. Pray about where your children are getting an education. Hear me, children. Hear me, parents. Don't leave me. (laughs) Here, please. There is no room in a biblical worldview for a secular education. There's no room. They cannot walk hand in hand. Pray about the education of your children. Pray about the direction that this, this institution, and it breaks my heart, it tears me up. I have family members, brothers, who dedicated their lives to teaching children I had friends who have left the teaching profession because they just can't do it anymore. All the good ones are leaving. (laughs) And it it breaks my heart because I know there are still godly people out there. But listen, the system is overwhelmed by wokeness and liberal theology and hate and separation and, and all of the things which tear our nation apart and are indoctrinating our children's mind. Pray, parents, pray, please about the education of your children. Connie and I didn't homeschool or send our kids to Christian school to isolate them, protect them from evil. We did it to prepare them to face it and know how to be victorious over it. There's a big difference. Sanctification is a Christian's response to the world. We don't live like think like or act like the unsaved. 
Peter writes, therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also may be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Brothers and sisters, what do we do with that text? You cannot just dismiss it. You cannot dance around it. You cannot find a loophole in it or through it. God has commanded us to holiness, purity, modeled after his own attributes of holiness. I I, I don't know how to explain it any clearer. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things which such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, though the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory, like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, a word of the Lord, remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you wow sanctification begins with salvation and is an ongoing completed process until we reach the fullness of glory number one jesus prayed for his glorification number two he prays for his disciples sanctification number three he prayed the church would be unified the church would be unified Look closely at this key once again. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. Done deal. Done deal until he comes again. Jesus is clearly stating everything is done. We have given them as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have given them all that they need for a life of godliness and holiness. Everything has been provided. Redemption, justification, salvation, sanctification. My glory will be the capstone of my church. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen to Paul's plea. Ephesians 4, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen to the glory of God. And brothers and sisters, we can only be unified in one, on one foundation. I'm not talking about ecclesiastical unification. I'm talking about a unified church which has built everything that it believes and everything that it knows on the very, very word of God, inspired, inerrant, complete, and promises for us that we can trust. Amen? Amen. This is the only place of unity 
Don't tell me you can go out there and join with another church that believes something else or says, well, now I know that that was probably applicable back then, but you know, this is kind of a, 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 an old document. You ever heard that one? Things have changed, you know, things have changed and this, and, and, and God just didn't see all this other stuff coming, right? So he didn't know it was going to get this bad. He didn't know it was going to get this evil. He didn't know it was going to, our, our whole culture would be immersed in sexual perversion. He didn't know that. So he just didn't add it to the book. It's just, it just needs some updates. Who wants to update the word of God? Let's don't try. Let's don't try. The word of God stands. And let me tell you something about this. It's, it's not harsh. It's not mean. It's not cruel. It's not prejudice. It's not racist. It's not full of bigotry. It's the truth of God that sets man free. It's the truth of God that sets man free. Free from everything that holds him, including sin and death. It's a book of love. It's a book of grace. It's a book of mercy. It's a book of freedom. It's a book of atonement. It's a book of death and suffering and resurrection that gives all of us hope here today. It's a book of hope and comfort and peace. Amen? But along with that, God's going to tell you what else don't fit in that program. My glory, Jesus said, will be the capstone of my church. I, therefore, Paul writes, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called, and that one hope. Listen to those words again, please, folks. Personal grief, sorrow, pain, in the heart of every pastor that I have talked to over the years of ministry, the highest degree of that grief and sorrow and pain and heartache has come from serving a divided church. From serving a divided church. Division and dissension is in direct contradiction to the word of God. Either we believe it, either we obey it, or let's just put it back on the shelf with all the other information. I close with these words from Tony Evans. The power of unity. Jesus' high priestly prayer found in John 17 shows how much is at stake with regard to the church's unity. Here's what's at stake. God's name. God's glory and his love are tied to the unity in which his people are to live. You see, our bond as believers in Christ is much more than something to keep us from fussing and fighting among ourselves. It is a testimony to the world that the Lord and the faith we preach are real. He goes on, God will respond to us on the basis of our unity or lack thereof. Whether it includes unity across denominations, economic statuses, ethnicities, or genders, unity is critical to the movement of God's kingdom agenda on this earth. It's critical. Let me state this principle another way. If we are functioning in conflict or disunity, God will limit his work in our lives. Do you hear me, brothers and sisters? If we have time to be blessed but not to be blessings, 
If we are selfish saints who want things from God but don't want to mess with being functioning members of a local church, or if we are causing disruption in the church by our attitudes or tongues, then we are wasting our time when we ask God to do something for us or in us. In fact, Evans closes. Scripture goes so far as to tell us that if we are people like that, then others in the church need to steer clear of us. Watch out for those who create division and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, Romans 16. Elsewhere, Paul said concerning the church, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Look out. And among these things God hates is one who stirs up trouble among brothers, Proverbs 6.19. This is not a small issue because God responds to his people's unity or lack thereof. So says Tony Evans. I remember hearing a statement one time, Groucho Marx, right? A man full of wisdom. Groucho Marx said, I would never want to be a member of any organization that would allow people like me to be a member. Christ has been glorified. His prayer has been answered. How about our sanctification? How about your biblical worldview? Are you living in a selective holiness lifestyle? How about his church? Is it unified? Is there division amongst us? Let us make sure all of our Lord's prayer is answered this morning. All three request his glorification, our sanctification, and our unification were all provided because he was willing to suffer and die for us. This morning's invitation, again, a bit usual, unusual. But I'm going to ask if you would put that on the screen, please. I believe it's also in your outline handout. As you can see, the credit is given to the quote, Matthew Henry, if you're not familiar, he's, a, he's an old-timer. Wrote a commentary about that thick. And it's good. <laughs> it's good. And wrote a lot of other things, too. I want you to follow along as I read these statements. Every week in your bulletin you'll see on the prayer list or every week on the posted prayer list that goes out online, you see a request for revival in the church. It's on there, and I'm glad it's on there for people praying for revival. But you see, God, revival only comes through prepared vessels. His spirit doesn't move through unclean vessels. Are you with me? If we want revival, we got to do more and polish the outside. We got to clean the inside. I can't do that, don't want the job. But the Holy Spirit can. So Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentary, lived his whole life in light of a creed taught to him by his godly father. And he had this read multiple times and said it multiple times throughout his life.
I take God the Father to be my God. I take God the Son to be my Savior. I take God the Holy Ghost to be my sanctifier. I take the Word of God to be my rule. I take the people of God to be my people. I and I do hereby dedicate and yield my whole life, my whole self to the Lord. And I do this deliberately, freely, and forever. Amen. Now would you please stand. And for those who are willing, would you read along with me? I take God the Father to be my God. I take God the Son to be my Savior. I take God the Holy Ghost to be my sanctifier. I take the Word of God to be my rule. I take the people of God to be my people. And I do hereby dedicate and yield my whole self to the Lord. And I do this deliberately, freely, and forever. Revivals at the door. Father, thank you for the time that we've had this morning. And God, I do cry and I plea and I pray that there has been no offense, that we know the difference between offense and conviction of the Holy Spirit. But God, on a personal note, I'm going to thank you for allowing me to preach freely. That the people may know, the people may know that we're called to a higher calling. And God, I'm not there yet. I'm not even close. I'm, I'm on the first step. But God, I want to I wanna move closer to the flame. And that only happens by and through your spirit. So, Father, I hope and pray that we as the family of God right here this morning realize that, that, that we're one. We're in this thing together. And we may all be in different places along the way and different places in our journey. But, but the goal is still the same. The common goal for all of us is still the same. To be more like Jesus. And sometime, somewhere, someday down the road... All of us will behold his glory in the fullness and splendor of heaven. But we got to help each other along the way. Encourage one another. Father, thank you that you love us enough to never give up working on us.